Thank you for joining us and welcome. You're listening to Hey Siri Podcast and I'm Tom Siri. I am the founder and CEO of RealSelf.com, something I've been doing for, well now, 13 plus years. And something I really am passionate about is sharing things that I discover and learn. I like to look for not just what trends are out there that are apparent, but underlying insights that can be gathered by looking at meta information, paying attention to consumers and what they're saying in our platform, and spending a lot of time with my audience, which are made up of doctors, practices, individuals who have industry relationships in the aesthetic space. Welcome to another episode of Hey Siri. This is Tom Siri, and I'm the Siri who gets you to the best answers and responses to your questions. And I am delighted to have a new guest for today's podcast. It's Lauren McGoodwin. Lauren, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. And very excited to have you because I have been really racking my brain and thinking, hmm, what are the areas that COVID-19 have had the most impact on? And one of the areas that obviously beyond healthcare and, and kids going to school is the job space and jobs and careers. And you're an expert in that space. Can you tell us about yourself? Introduce yourself to my audience. Yeah. So my name is Lauren McGoodwin. I'm the founder and CEO of Career Contessa. We are the largest online career resource built inclusively for women. Men are allowed to use our resources too. We just tailor everything we're creating for women. And we are a career site. So while we have job search tools and a jobs board, we're not just a job site. We're a career site. So we can help you for every stage of your career, whether you're trying to figure out your next move, like I said, applying for jobs, you are still at work and trying to figure out how can you advance in your current role. And then of course, some other stuff like money, productivity, we have an anonymous salary database called the Salary Project. So like I said, really that one-stop resource for all your career questions and anxieties and just things that pop up. Interesting. When you said it's for women only or designed for women, I started thinking about how that happened in the gym space and for obvious reasons, but why the focal point on female job seekers? Yeah. So I actually started Career Contessa. I was writing my master's thesis. I was working as a recruiter and I had just gone through a really tough job search and was now on the other side of the hiring table. And I was really, really loved working in recruiting. I, I was At the time I was working at Hulu and I loved working there and I realized what a big difference it made to love your job. And at the same time that I was doing that, I was writing my master's thesis on millennial women and career resources. Cause I was really interested in like, first of all, my mom's advice for career stuff at the time was like really strange. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So I started researching this. And one of the ways I got interested in it is that millennial women are the largest generation of women to ever be in the workforce. And so the workforce has never had, you know, by 2020, which at the time when I was writing that, that seems so far away, we make up more than half of the workforce now. And so it just seems so strange to me that none of the career resources or pieces of advice and stuff like that, none of them were talking about having kids and having to tell your boss you're pregnant or being a young woman in the workplace and being mansplained. It started from all of that and then it grew into much more, obviously, but I was also working as a recruiter, but I was also working at a tech company where we didn't have any women on the leadership team. And I was young and in you know, my second job out of school and I was looking for like female role models. And so it was just something I became personally very interested in. And then we quickly saw this avalanche effect happen 
between Lean In, a lot more resources talking about women at work. And then of course we had whole different types of movements like Me Too. And so it started as just like a, I don't see myself really reflected in these resources but also at companies. And then it grew obviously to be a lot more. And now it's interesting when I left Hulu to work on Career Contessa full-time, so many people were like, why are you doing that? Such a mistake. There doesn't need to be a career site just talking to women and about women. And you know, I can honestly say they were wrong because when we're more than half of the workforce and there's no resource that talks to us, that's strange. Yeah, I, for some reason, my podcast keeps ending up in places where... I'm focused on where the rest of the world hasn't caught up and the unmet need. And my more recent episode was on skin of color and how underrepresented that is in the spaces of aesthetics and beauty that are in business at Real Self Covers. But it's fascinating that you've identified that unmet need and you're filling it. So congrats on that. And it's going to lead me to a bunch of questions that are in that what's happening in the job market. And I don't necessarily have them designed for women only focus, but if that's how you choose to respond, that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, so. no, I definitely give advice for everybody. <laughs> so don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Recently, I've gotten about my hundredth email where these unprecedented times and that unprecedented times is the most overused term right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and emails relate to the pandemic, of course. But I would just love from your vantage point, actually, if you step back a little bit, beyond the just obvious changes that are happening in the, the employer, employment, and market, what are trends that you see that you think are going to outlast COVID? Like COVID maybe accelerated or established new patterns that we will see for, for here on out. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the obvious ones are companies saying, hey, do we really need to have this huge physical space? Do we need to have employees working in the office every day? So that will be some of the obvious I think another trend will be around virtual collaboration and just sort of some of the tools that we're seeing people get a lot more comfortable with. I mean, the question of like, can you use Zoom to meet with somebody or do you need to get on that airplane and fly to New York for that one hour conversation? I think that's a trend that's going to stick around. Unfortunately, another trend I think might stick around for a little bit as what we see with a lot of recessions is that it's going to be probably an employer's marketplace for a while. And one of the other trends I think that will ha happen naturally from that is employers might hire a lot more people for contract or project-based positions versus, hey, you're full-time and you're here no matter what happens. I think that employers can definitely get gun-shy anytime they've gone through this quote unquote, as you said, unprecedented time where they've had to lay people off and all that too. So those mm -hmm. are some of the trends I, I could see lingering for sure, the flexible workplace and working from home. And I know a lot of people want that to stay. The flip side of that trend that isn't here that I hope we see is that if people do get to continue to work from home, we get some sort of support for working parents, schools, you know, if they don't actually go back to normal and daycares and that kind of stuff. Right. I was going to ask a question about the balance of power and how has it shifted from the candidate to the employer? And it sounds like you believe, yes, indeed, there is a buyer's market. Yeah. And that flipped so quickly. It, it's wild to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we all forget that there was basically near zero unemployment before this all manifested. And yet, is there still a war for talent out there? And if so, is it only in small pockets of employment and certain skills? Or is it uh, more broad-based? 
Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think really good talent is always in demand depending on the skills and like certain skill sets we see consistently more in demand. For example, our software developers all of a sudden going to become obsolete. Are people going to be like, no, we don't need them? Probably not. That's never happened. I definitely think the quote unquote war on talent is sort of always there. It's going to change though. I mean, I was just on something the other day with LinkedIn and they run all this research about what jobs are seeing getting hired for right now. And it's like jobs that are in demand from July, 2020 were like salesperson, registered nurse, software engineers, project managers, licensed nurses. So we're going to see more demand, obviously stick around in the areas we're used to, which is like healthcare and tech, but you know, salespeople, project managers, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's amazing how fast these things have shifted in such a short amount of time. And and the yeah. the one trend that struck me in terms of the balance of power between employers, employees, or job seekers has just, I think it was yesterday, read that there is a trend for companies to push out older employees who are more expensive in favor of younger. And is that something you've seen or is that just a, sort of an anecdotal storyline? No, you know, I think we saw the same thing happen with the last recession. You know, the more expensive employees. So during the 0809, I mean, a lot of people probably remember this. People who were close to retirement were getting laid off and they weren't close enough to retirement that they actually wanted to retire. They wanted to get rehired and they were more expensive. And so their jobs were either completely removed from the organization or they were hiring young college grads. And, you know, my first job, because I was an 09 grad, just so everyone knows, my very first job out of college paid me $24,000 a year. Mm. That's crazy. I mean, that's like, you shouldn't be able to pay people that little for a 40 hour a week job, but I was living at home and I felt lucky to have that. And so I definitely see that power dynamic happening again, like that for the older workers, the younger workers, and anyone who's looking for a job. Just so you know, my first job out of college was also during a recession. I'm older than you, but it paid $500 a month. <laughs> so yeah, it makes you feel better. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept the pay stub just for posterity. I know, like framed it just to remind yourself. <laughs> Got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. So are there roles that through your platform or others, or you've read about or seen firsthand that are harder to fill now because of COVID 19, the pandemic? For example, there was a role recently at Hulu for an events person. And obviously a lot of people who worked in experiential events and experiential marketing, they've been laid off or they're, you know, they're just not working right now, whether they were freelancers or working full-time for agencies or something. The amount of people that text messaged me about that job to see if I knew someone to help them get the job there was overwhelming. So I think that you know, we're kind of in two economies. We've got the digital economy, which is doing really well. And then we have this services economy or this economy that was based off of, you know, people going out to restaurants, people going to experiences, people traveling, leisure stuff. And a lot of people who worked in industries like that, who have been laid off, if a job even remotely close to a skill that they were doing before opens, it is a mad rush of people who apply for those jobs. I hadn't thoroughly thought this through, but indeed even the concept of experiential marketing has just been upended. Yeah. Some of them, I think, whether they've done it or not, are going to have to learn. Like if you were the person who was always putting on these big in-person events, if I were a person listening to this right now and hearing that and you identify with that, I would quickly learn how to run virtual events. 
these are the pivots that people need to make because people are still doing events, but it's all virtual. And this role at Hulu, for example, just happened to be more of the traditional one. And you can see that people are still kind of saying like, oh, I fit into that mold. Let me do that. Which is fine, but that's one job, you know, and there's very few of those. Instead, you're hearing this, you need to start thinking about, okay, I need to diversify my skill set because there's not going to be very many people actually looking for an events person for a while in the traditional sense. I fully have seen that at our own company where at Real Self, we've shifted from experiential marketing, you know, in market experiences with cosmetic aesthetics and we call it the House of Modern Beauty to now virtual events where we do webinars and, and really yep. interesting things. And it definitively is a different skill set of who puts on, produces the in-person versus the digital. And I can see what you're saying there from firsthand experience. Yeah, it's a totally different skill set. And I hope that in the future, I mean, it will be a, a brand new type of job title that will exist in companies, I think. I love it. I think we need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll probably get a lot of emails now for that. But um, okay, so... <laughs> but you, you start going down this path of the pivoting for a candidate and somebody looking for their next great job. Internally, we use this concept or framing of just starting something and stopping and continuing. Do you have some thoughts on what come to mind if you were to ask or talk to candidates and coach them, what do you need to start doing now and stop doing now or continue doing now to get to that next great role? I think that when people are thinking about making a pivot, it's usually because they've hit some sort of status quo, right? They've gotten to this point in their career where like they're not being challenged. They can literally do it in their sleep. So if you want to make a quote unquote pivot, which I know is a very sexy word right now. And then a lot of people go, I want to make a pivot. What exactly is that? Well, if you want to advance and you need to think about what is the direction you want to take your career next, some things I tell people to think about first are like, what do you like in your current role? What do you not like in your current role? What are you really good at? You know, when we think about strengths and ways that we can advance our career, it's like project management could be your favorite activity that you do at work. You just absolutely love it. And, but guess what? You're horrible at it. Nobody gives you that role when they're assigning roles. You know, it's like you want to pick something that you are not only successful in, but it's also required for your job. So when you're thinking about what is next and how you're going to advance, I think those are some important questions. What's giving you the most energy at work, but also what are you actually good at as well? And then think about, okay, for that pivot, what are maybe the adjacent strengths to that? So again, okay, maybe you're not the world's best project manager, but something you are really good at is business development. You're great at building relationships. What would be an adjacent strength to that, you know, or what other jobs or skills might be close or similar to that? And start thinking about kind of it in terms of like, what would be the cousins or the siblings of that job versus just going from being a business development manager to you know senior business development manager. So I try to tell people to kind of think about it in that way versus, oh, I want to pivot. I want to do something completely different. It doesn't always have to be completely different. It can definitely be adjacent as well. Do you agree with, and this is, this is to the candidate who's pivoting and looking something new. Do you agree that there's a difference in gender and how people look at job openings where a woman may look at a job listing and say, oop, I don't qualify for those and not apply, or I don't have those, where a male might look past that. At least I've heard that from Google uh, recruiters, but do you agree with that? 
Yeah. So I actually see this a lot with like, we'll host webinars. We'll have, we'll have some events on career contests where we're engaging in real time with people, obviously mostly women since 90% of our audience is women. And you'll see it in the chat function, people asking, you know, I have this, but I don't have that. Can I still apply? It's like, it, it comes from more of a, almost asking for permission place than it is from a, I'm going to apply because why would I not apply? And so the data is true, which is, it says that women are less likely to apply for their job unless they hit, you know, 90% of the requirements where a guy will apply for a job when he meets like 60% of their requirements. I absolutely think there is a blind confidence that men have where women are definitely kind of not just socialized, but we're sort of like trained to think that, you know, we've got to be perfect. We've got to hit all those boxes before we can do the thing. And I actually think that, and I don't know how many employers would hundred percent agree with this, but I actually think it's really good to get the person who maybe doesn't check every box off, but is like really passionate about it, really excited about it is going to hit the ground running versus the person who's done the job for 10 years. And they're just going to come in and kind of like be robotic about it sometimes. It's interesting because I was raised <laughs> in the working world raised. The job description is your wish list as an as a hiring manager. Yeah. And and well, what you're saying is that's inadvertently or, or with an unconscious bias towards that has a way of sort of self-fulfilling, yes, another white male is going to apply for this role and less so others. Yeah. And I think what you said is actually really important. I think part of what I was hoping to do with Career Condessa is just shed more light and transparency around the job application process. Because what you just said is, hey, this is more of a wish list than like a you have to have, right? This is my nice to have, or, you know, I would love to have these things. But I mean, nobody's writing their job description where it's saying like, hey, here are the nice to haves. And here, I mean, sometimes they do this, but, (laughs) you know, very few people actually write it in the way that we just described it. And so if you are a person applying for a job, you don't know any better. You know, you don't know any better that this is more of a quote unquote wish list, or, you know, we're open to someone who maybe doesn't hit all of these things, but is willing to learn or can show examples of success in this stuff in the past. So I think what you just said is so important for people to hear, because I find a lot, especially when it comes to job search, and I I don't know if this is more with women than men, I would assume it's probably more with women is that it's almost like there's these rules and they're like, well, I have to follow the rules. And you're like, what are the rules? Where are the rules written? You know, I always joke that the job search is like the wild west. Yeah. And that rule system works against you, particularly in the space around going through networking to get to a, the hiring manager, for instance. Exactly you'd be like, no, no, no. The rules say to fill out the application and then hit apply and wait for them to get back to you. But then there's this other person who's like, why would I do that? That's what everyone else is doing. How can I try to stand out? How can I network? How can I send my resume directly to a person? And what's unfortunate is that those are the people who usually get the callback, not the person who quote unquote followed the rules. Well, I guess that's why we're both entrepreneurs. We are not rule followers. (laughs) (laughs) Easier said than done, I know. (laughs) So we talked about pivoting, but I guess I think the economy now has probably a chilling effect on a lot of individuals, in particular millennials who are at that place where they should take the next move. They should be seeking the next opportunity and they're not willing to because of fear of change. Is that instinct that I have or or assumption true based on what you've seen or are people keeping their head down more so than before? 
Oh yeah. I think there's a lot. I mean, I think whenever there's uncertainty, there's more fear and there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And so, and also I think that whether your company or the media, whoever is perpetuating, it's almost like if you have a job right now, you're just feeling so thankful to have it that you are kind of feeling like, shut up. How dare you think about leaving that job and doing something else? Like you're one of the lucky ones right now. And so I think there's a lot of internal fear and self-talk and narratives that people can tell themselves where they basically say like, now's not the time to make a career pivot. There's no way you can take a lot of risk in your career right now. And I'm not even necessarily saying like, that might be completely untrue in the sense of you're right. There are less jobs open right now than, than there are people looking. So like some of this fear is real, but I think what ends up happening is that the narratives around the fear and the uncertainty stop people from literally doing anything. You know, they get that analysis paralysis. Yeah. I think the early careers also makes an assumption that, or a narrative in their mind that, oh, if I go to a company, a new company, and they have a layoff, the most recently hired people are all going to be the first ones to go. And that's just not the way it works. Yeah. it's There's all these weird rumors that you believe and you're like, well, maybe some people who got hired recently and got laid off, but it ha- probably had nothing to do with the fact that they were recent hires, you know? And so I think also it would be good for companies when they do have layoffs to like provide some transparency into the why behind it because people just make up these storylines and then they get perpetuated. Yeah. Well, maybe this podcast will make a difference. (laughs) (laughs) We hope so. (laughs) If we can reach one live. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Shift shift her behavior. So another thing that I think about in terms of job market changes is the influence of the pandemic on people's willingness to take jobs at startups. And since I operate and have worked in the world of startups for a long time, that makes me really concerned. Do you see that happening in your world or is it just an assumption that I've made and not true? I see that a little bit. I think that, again, people kind of make up this storyline because, you know, what happens is in the media, you hear about the Airbnbs and like some well-known by the way, those aren't even like small startups, but you know, right. people hear about that. And then all of a sudden the narrative is like, well, this is why you want to work for the big companies. The big companies are having layoffs too. It's just not as sexy to report on that as it is the fact that, you know, Airbnb and Bird and whoever else was a quote unquote unicorn or whatever phrase they're using this week to lay that off, you know? And so I think that people have to really do their own research depending on the startup, but it's not just the startup, it's depending on the company. You know, if your company, going back to kind of those two economies, if you work for an airline right now, which is not a startup, now is not a great time to be working for an airline because guess what? People aren't traveling and companies have to make money. That's how they're able to pay for their expenses, aka their employees. So people just have to do their own research and also I don't know, go back to the basics of like, yes, these companies exist because they provide a service that people pay them for. And if people aren't doing that, it doesn't matter whether you have 10,000 employees or 10 employees, that math doesn't work. In terms of people not wanting to go work at startups, that's unfortunate because I really think that startups, I mean, you and I both have come from the startup world. So I had a really positive experience. And one of the things I love about startups is I think you get to be hands-on and learn a lot of different stuff versus if you went and worked at a big company. So I hope people don't just cross them off the list and, and do what they think is a safe bet because nothing is necessarily a safe bet. So just, again, like doing your research and not assuming something. 
Yeah, and in terms of points of disruption in in the world, we are probably at hopefully <laughs> until <laughs> we're at the peak of that. But it usually is the time where great companies get formed and and started. So I actually believe it's a really unique opportunity. I agree. Yeah. So in addition to the pandemic, there's been tremendous amount of social unrest in America, in particular, a lot of voices being heard around diversity, uh, racial justice or injustice, and, you know, really triggered from the George Floyd tragedy. And I was just wondering if, you know, in light of that, do you think there are things businesses are still doing today that you think they just haven't gotten the memo that a lot of things have changed and they have to adjust either hiring recruiting practices to this new world awareness? Or do you think businesses are actually doing a great job and they're really quickly, rapidly adjusting and bringing DEI front and center? I'll believe that when I see it longer than a month, <laughs> I think, you know. That's a fair. Yeah, I feel like, especially women, we've seen these false promises happen before where it's like, you know, with Me Too, it was like, oh, we need to do a better job at diversity and inclusion. And there were some, but I also felt like that fizzled out. I really hope that this is not the case because this is not just about women. This is about the racial injustice. And one of the things I'm seeing companies they'll say amazing stuff in a press release, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, what long-term are you doing? And so some questions I would have are your recruiting team, are they actually diversifying where they are pulling pools of talent from? So are you constantly recruiting from those top 10 schools that you've always recruited from, or are you expanding that reach? Are you looking at other applicants? Are you telling the recruiters, go deeper? Another thing that I actually think is really interesting is for a very long time, companies have offered employee referrals. Well, if you have a mostly white company and you're offering them referrals, you're basically saying, we like to hire people who our employees know. Well, guess what? Your employees probably know other white people like them, or you know, I'm, I'm using that obviously as a example here, but I don't think employee referral systems are actually that great, right? You just get more of the same type of people working for your company. So I think there needs to be a much deeper look into where are you hiring from? And then also when you do hire people and you bring them on board, are they included, right? That's the difference between inclusion and just diversity. If you want the token person for diversity numbers so that your percentages look better, that doesn't really mean anything. You might feel good about it, but it, it's not good. You know, you want people to not only be able to bring their unique self to the office, but also be able to speak up and not have that group think. So I'll believe the one thing when I see it, I think in terms of what I'm seeing companies do is a lot of people are still kind of going back to their, their same ways when it comes to recruitment. And I think that is like a good first place to edit or change. So I'd like to see more of that. I think I heard you say that the Me Too movement fizzled out. Is that correct? I just feel like there was a time where we were talking a lot about the fact that, yeah, women in the workplace, they have been discriminated against, they've been sexually harassed, they've, you know, we were talking about bringing awareness of phrases like mansplaining. I think there was probably at least a time there where men were probably thinking to themselves, before I speak or do this thing, is this appropriate? And that was like very much a first time. I don't know about it fizzling out in the sense of like, it's totally away. Obviously, we did bring awareness to that. But my question is, is your company still moving forward with, you know, training about 
what's appropriate to say and do in the office? What are microaggressions? Are they still making sure that women are being promoted and considered for leadership roles as often as men? There were definitely some rules that came out of that or like new laws that were passed, for example, California said that you had to have a woman on your board, you know, so there were some good things that came out of that. I just feel like if you talk to a lot of women in the workplace and you ask them specifically what has changed in your workplace, I find just from our community and career contestants, people will say, no, not really. Like it hasn't changed that much, you know? So, and part of that is it goes back to like having the one black person in leadership be your diversity and inclusion person or having the one woman on your leadership team being in HR. I guess that's a start. I don't want to like slap anyone's hands for that, but it's not good enough. You know, there's women who can run in other leadership positions. Your black leadership and person doesn't always have to be in diversity and inclusion. They can do other things too. Do you think it fizzled out to a great extent because of the pandemic in that a significant number of women in the workforce have families and now they're in this place where they're still seen as a primary caregiver yeah. and working from home and doing this juggling act that when I see team members in our company do it, I just, I'm just amazed. And because and I have two little children, I'm just like amazed, stunned, but also feel, I feel really terrible that this is the, the cards that have been dealt in this situation and what it means for their future. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about the pandemic is it accelerated how much unpaid labor and work women were doing and also trying to have careers. And guess what? The economy has basically said, we don't really care. The fact that there's been no conversation about what kind of federal help can we give to working parents, especially the fact that the majority of this burden falls on mothers. I mean, women are definitely talking about it, but like, where is this being talked about at the high, high levels where people can actually start to make an impact? And some companies are great about it for sure. Some companies don't even acknowledge that. And so, you know, with Me Too, it's almost like, it's not even, maybe fizzle out was a wrong choice of words. It's almost like we've got bigger issues now, you know, or like we have a mm. new issue. It's like, I'm not being sexually harassed at work anymore because we're not in the same place. But, you know, I have a different issue, which is I'm the primary caregiver and my company expects me to work like I'm not a parent and parent like I don't have any work, you know, and that's, I agree with you in terms of people who are trying to do that. It's really hard to watch and it's really challenging. You wrote a book. It's called Power Moves. Is that correct? Yeah, it's called Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career Purpose. It came out on May 19th of this year. So right in the middle of it all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking, you know, one of the, at least my take on it was that it's really about really encouraging women to be proactive and really take control over the steps that are necessary to grow their careers. And from that perspective, and what we just talked about across COVID and all these changes and trends. And it's, it's just got published, but still, if you had to rewrite today, would you keep it the advice the same or would you adjust it based on some new things that have just come forward? One of the things I didn't do in the book is I didn't really talk about the barriers that do keep women of color and working moms from being able to maybe make some of these power moves more easily. And that's definitely something I would either get a co-author to write about that, some of that stuff, because I'm not a parent and I'm not a woman of color. So that's definitely something that I would have included more of. The book itself is still 
pretty general advice, meaning that here's the advice and you're going to be able to tailor it to your situation or career stage. But yes, that's definitely two things I, I would have done differently. On our closeout, I, I know we could talk for a while about so many other topics that careers and challenges that are associated with the current environment bring about. I would love to just get your one sage advice you'd give every job candidate out there. I wish they would start doing something that they rarely do. So something that would really help them stand out. Is there anything that you could suggest? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of informational interviews. So what happens is I see a lot of people reaching out for networking or talking to someone at a company when they need something, right? They found the job at Real Self and now they're you know, reaching out to that person. I mean, I would highly recommend that people approach their job search by identify your target companies first and start having informational interviews and building relationships with people who work at those companies before you need to apply for a job. I think there's a lot of power in that. It's almost like reverse engineering, getting your job. Fully agree. I think that's really the hallmark of, of also figuring out if you're interested in those roles that, totally. uh, that you don't necessarily check all the boxes on. In terms of one thing you would wish every hiring manager or company that's out there looking for talent would start doing and is rarely doing, do you have any final thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the frustrations for a lot of job searchers is that, you know, if I don't meet all the qualifications and I apply, they kind of will get sometimes this blanket advice of like, well, you don't have this and that. And for the recruiters or the hiring managers, then just make sure that you are spending a lot of time on those job descriptions so that people, I I just think it's a frustration that people have is like, they feel like they apply and they don't hear anything back or they apply and they're like, I'm perfect for this role. What do you mean? I'm not perfect. And they're like, well, actually we're looking for this. And it's like, you know, try to have as much clarity around the role when you're making that job description. And also please actually respond to people, even if it's a no, just like, don't leave them hanging in the dark about it. I think that's so important for your business and your brand and for just, it's just goodness that you should be doing. Yeah. It's it's good karma. (laughs) It's like humans. (laughs) Yes. Treat people like people. And well, thank you so much, Lauren McGoodwin. Where can people find you? You mentioned careercontessa.com. Are there other places that you post or share your thoughts? Because you're an incredibly great guest and I'm sure my audience would like to know more. Yeah, so we're careercontessa.com and then at careercontessa on pretty much every social media platform. We're probably the most active on Instagram. And then my book is called Power Moves. You can also go to powermovesbook.com. And then we have a podcast. So every Tuesday you can get career advice from us and our show is called The Females and it's spelled F-E-M-A-I-L-S. But again, if you go to careercontessa.com, you'll find all of this information. Congratulations on all that. And I've really enjoyed this quick conversation and and you've definitely left me and my audience feeling like they got a lot more from Siri the app and more from the Hey Siri podcast. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap for this episode with Lauren McGoodwin. I thank her very much. This was fascinating for me and hopefully for you. You can also read, see more about Hey Siri at heysiri.com, H-E-Y-S-E-E-R-Y.com.